open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Last Wednesday evening, we studied um, chapters 12 and 13, uh, verse by verse, and now I'm coming back this morning and uh, using um, 1 and 2. This morning, we'll take a look at Paul's admonishment uh, not to be conformed to this world, I'm going to use both Old Testament and New Testament examples. Then we'll look um, at current events in our world as the world we live in today is seeking to conform us to its ways. Um, As we look at chapter 12, let's read the first two verses that Paul read for us earlier. I beseech you therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've entitled the morning's message, The Lust of the Flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Um, Before we go any farther, the admonition here is not to be conformed to this world. Let's see if we can find a good biblical um, definition of the world. So let's turn, first of all, to 1 John chapter 4. Give you a moment to get there. And then we're going to go back to 1 John 2. But 1 John 4 tells us in verses 4 through 6, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. But he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, and he who does not of God does not hear us. But this we know, that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now I'll just flip back to um, 1 John 2, and I'm interested in verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Pretty good definition of when the scriptures speak of the world and the God of this world, um, uh, we, we see it actually as um, our enemy, something that um, we are to touch ever so lightly. Paul told Timothy, be a good soldier and touch the things of this world lightly. Now having said that, we have to go to work, have to pay the bills, we have to be involved with worldly people, and... Um, uh, the reason we come here on a Sunday or a Wednesday to get fed or men or women's prayer is so that we can get built up 
so that we can leave this place and go out to the mission field. And um, so we're basically getting equipped. And um, Paul's admonishment this morning is, what is fashioning you? Is it God's word? Or is it the world in which we live? And we're going to close this morning um, with um, things that have crept into our culture that have been actually labeled and named. And I'll get into that as we close things up this morning. But first of all, let let me give you an Old Testament example of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Please turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7, which is the temptation of man. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. What's wrong with the last part that I just read? God never said that. He said, don't eat of it. He never said anything about touching it. Eve sort of just added that. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That's why they call him the father of lies. And God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate. And then their eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And I thought to myself when I was studying, I said, to me, that sounds like a pretty good example of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But then I thought, I wonder what McGee has to say about that. So I I went to uh, my commentaries and I pulled McGee out and so what I'm quoting is um, from J. Vernon McGee from his um, commentary. And I couldn't believe my eyes because I'm quoting him now. Commenting on these first seven verses, he says, notice that the appeal that the serpent made is quite an interesting one. It was an appeal to the flesh. And I went, yes. The tree was good for food, but that it, Uh, is not all. That is not the thing that is really important. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was appealing to the psychological part of man, to his mind, a tree to be desired to make one wise. This is an appeal to the religious side of man. So in the very first introduction in the Bible to the fall of man, It begins with what Satan always does. Satan, we're going to find out in just a minute when we go to the New Testament example, likes to quote scripture. uh, But it's always out of context and uh, it's always a challenge to 
the word of God. Has God said? Is that what God said? And so from the get-go, um, that's a challenge that's out there today. Let's go to the New Testament to, for an example, uh, Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four is the temptation of Christ. And again, um, I'm gonna quote McGee, but let's read it first of all, because, um, well, we'll get to that in a second. First 12 verses of Luke chapter four. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all, the, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for these have been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Notice that the Lord doesn't dispute his claim to the world. Where did we lose the world? We lost it when Satan tempted Eve. They were to be in charge of the world. They were to till the ground. They were to take care of the garden. Um, That was taken away from them. And um, uh, when we get to uh, Revelation chapter five, we have a picture of Jesus going up to the Father on the throne and taking the scroll out of the Father's hand. And um, people have often wondered, what's with the scroll? I believe it's the title deed to planet Earth. He'd already won it back at Calvary. Good place for an amen. But he hasn't picked it up yet. I believe as we get into Revelation 5 and he takes that scroll out of the Father's hands, all heaven rejoices at this time. We're in heaven singing a new song. Uh, but I, my own personal conviction is that it's the title deed to planet Earth. And he'll, he's saying, I'll take that back now. And he gets ready to establish his kingdom. So the Lord does not dispute the devil's claim. He is the God of this world. And um, he says, it's mine and I'll give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you'll worship before me, all will be yours. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do that. You don't have to lay down your life. I'll just give it to you. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written again, going back and quoting the Old Testament, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, You are the son of God. Throw yourself down from here. And what does he do? He quotes scripture. He says, for it is written. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
Now this last part is interesting for all of us because we all deal with the temptations of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It says, when the devil had ended every temptation, so there were more than what was just written here, he departed from him and never bothered him again. (laughs) Until an opportune time. When does the enemy strike? When was he tempted with stirring the stones into bread? When he was really hungry. He was at a weak point. If you don't eat for 40 days, believe me, you're weak. After about three days when you fast, your, your appetite pretty much goes away. Uh, but after a period of time, in this case, it appears to be 40, 40 days, it said he was hungry. So this was a legit temptation. And um, I thought, well, Jay Vernon did pretty good on the first one. I wonder what he's got to say about um, uh, chapter four here. And uh, again, this blew my mind when I read it, so I'm quoting again McGee, his thoughts on it. You will find that this is the exact temptation. Um, no, uh, he says this is temptation, make these stones into bread. This was the appeal to the flesh as the tree was good for food. Then Satan showed the Lord the kingdoms of the world and offered them to him. That was an appeal to the mind, as a tree was pleasant to the eyes. Then finally he said, cast yourself down from the temple. This was an appeal to the religious side of man as a tree was to be desired to make one wise. I do not think that the devil has changed his tactics today He uses the same tactics with you and with me. And the reason is that he still uses them is that they work. He hasn't needed to change his tactics. Uh, For we all seem to fall from the same line. And then he does this. He quotes our title this morning. He says, John wrote, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Uh, the lust of the flesh, that is, the tree was good to eat. The lust of the eyes, the tree was good to look at. The pride of life, the tree was to be desired to make one wise. These things are not of the Father, but of the world. Jesus said that these sins of the flesh come out of the heart of man, way down deep. This is where Satan is making his appeal. This is a method that he is using in order that he might reach in and lead mankind astray. As, in other words, Romans 12, conforming you to the ways of this world. And he has succeeded. They were told that they would know good and evil and what happened. Well, we now have the results of every man, woman, and child being infected with a real disease that every person has that's called sin. And there's only one cure, and there's only one remedy, and it's not a vaccine. It is the precious commodity that the world has ever known, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so... um, 
when we go through our times of trial and testing, sometimes you're victorious, sometimes you're not. And when you're victorious, he says, okay, I'm leaving now, but I'll be back. And he always will until the day that we're out of here. So um, I'd like to you to go to the book of Jude at this time. Another example of not loving the world can be seen in three men in Jude's book. And uh, these men are Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Let's pick it up in Jude verses 8 through 11. And this is the present characteristics, my title here, of false teachers. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority. Now that's the reason I had Paul read um, Romans 13, where first couple of verses there, we'll go there in a minute, where it talks about respecting authority. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing accusation against him. It said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I wish he would have never said that because I want to know what they were arguing about. And it doesn't tell us. It just says that when uh, Moses was allowed to see the promised land, and when we visit Israel, we actually go up on Mount Nebo, and uh, you can see, walk across the Jordan, but Moses was never allowed to go in. Now there's a little sidetrack here. There's a reason Moses wasn't allowed to go in. Uh, It says in the Gospel of John, uh, 17 and 18, It says, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now the promise of God to the children of Israel is I'm gonna bring you into the land that I promised you. But Moses couldn't lead them in. It would spoil the picture. What picture? Well, we can't get saved by the law. Um, and Moses represents the law. If he would have been the one leading them in, you could make a case that you can enter into God's promises by keeping the law. That's not the case. There was a guy named Joshua, whose name means Jesus, and he was Moses' right-hand man, and it was Joshua that led them into the promised land. That's why in John 1, verses 17 and 18, it says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Moses could not lead them in. It would wreck the picture. All right, so, um, yeah, what they were arguing about, I'd sure like to know. (laughs) Why tease us like that? (laughs) Verse 10, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in, in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. We're going to take a look this morning um, 
at these uh, three men. But before I do, we're going to go back and look at Cain and Abel. And we're going to, um, well, I guess we can go back there now. Let's, let's go back to, uh, back to Genesis in chapter 4. And we're introduced to Cain and Abel. Um, but I want to draw your attention to, let's see, that would be verse 16, is it? Yeah, verse 17, just look at verse 17. It says, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Everybody got that? Okay, have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, if the Bible says that there was Adam and Eve, and they had a couple sons named Cain and Abel. It doesn't say anything about anybody else. So the question, have you ever had somebody ask you the question, where did Cain's wife come from? Anybody ever ask you that? You know the answer to that question? I would tell you if I was Abel. That was free. No, if you're there, if, obviously there are children that are not mentioned and they had a lot of kids. And that's the, the only logical really answer to that. But in chapter four, verses three and five, we read, in three it came in the process of time. Um, no, let's go to verse one. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, and she bore again, and this time a brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the fatlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord had respect for Abel and his offering, but he did not have respect for Cain and his offering, and Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. Well, it raises a question from Jude as a bad example, um, the way of Cain. So it begs the question, um, what was the way of Cain over Abel. Well, again, we have a picture. Um, So it was rejected because it was an offering to the Lord. But what kind of offering? One that he produced with the works of his own hand. On the other hand, Abel brought a lamb from his flock. It says a fatling. That means it was already killed. And as a result, the Lord accepted it. Why? because it's a true picture of salvation. Um, We were reading in Romans, remember chapter eight, if it's grace, then it can't be works, and if it's works, it can't be grace. They are mutually exclusive. And what we have a picture of here is Cain offering the work of his own hands. Nope, not accepting it. His countenance fell. Abel, on the other hand, brought the blood offering of a sacrifice, and that the Lord accepted. It goes on, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
and why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is to you, but you should rule over it. And Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain arose against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. So God here, we find that he was a murderer. And I'm gonna have you turn to Matthew chapter five at this point and get a little bit better definition from the Lord. Um, Yeah, Matthew chapter five, I'm sorry. Cain was a murderer, and you may be thinking, well, I never, I've never killed anybody. Well, yes, you have, according to Jesus. Uh, let's read the Beatitudes here as we look at uh, chapter 5, 20 to 24. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, that's another way of saying, hey, you're empty-headed or you're a fool or you downgrade him in that way. That's what Raka means shall also be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool, again Raka, uh, shall be in danger of hell's fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your, your gift. So, Uh, The way of Cain is that of murder, and as it applies to us, um, being angry at one of your brothers or sisters in Christ without really having a cause. Let's go back to Jude. And the second one that we found here in verse 11, they have gone in the way of Cain and they have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. Now, it's too lengthy of a story to go back to the Old Testament, so I'm gonna have you, give you an abbreviated form and I'll fill in the blanks the best I can and have you turn to Second uh, Peter chapter two and let's look at the, um, the heir of Balaam. Second Peter chapter two verses, we'll read verses 10 through 22. This is again a description of false teachers. He says, and especially those who walk according to the flesh, the lust of uncleanness and despise authorities. Again, that's Romans 13. They they are presumptuous, self-willed, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, 
made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they don't understand, and they will utterly perish in their own corruption. And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deception while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, and they are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way. They have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now I'll get back to that, but here's where it's brought up. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, and a donkey, a dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, I sure would have liked to have heard that one, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are walls without water, clouds carried by a tempest to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Why they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. For if after, this is so graphic, the Bible is so real. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is going to be worse from the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. And then he quotes Proverbs 26. But it has happened to them according to a true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. How's that for graphic? And a pig or a sour, uh, having washed, had his lipstick on, is looking pretty good. Having washed, returns to her wallow in the mire. Pigs go back and they get all cleaned up, but then they go right back to wallowing in the mud. And that's what he's likening it to. But he uses the example of Balaam for the wages of unrighteousness. Um, I'm just going to touch a little bit on what he's talking about here. Right before the children of Israel entered into the promised land, everywhere they went for 40 years, any enemy before them, the Lord took them out. He used the children of Israel. They were warriors, but everyone was defeated without exception. And now the last country was Moab. That was right next to the Jordan. And so there's a king named Balak. He was a king of Moab. And he knows he's next in line. And he's worried about it. So he hears about this prophet of God whose name is Balaam. And he sends some guys out to his house to get him. And they come with silver and gold and, and all these treasures. 
And he says, my king wants to hire you so that you will curse the children of Israel so they won't destroy our, 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 our kingdom, the land of Moab. And Balaam said, you know, guys, even if you would offer me a house full of gold, hint, 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 if you, even if you would do that, I could only say what the Lord would tell me to say. Now, when you go back and you read this, it's actually four, four chapters long, and that's why we're not going there. There's four oracles that Balaam went to a high place. He looked out. King Balak is there. said, okay, curse him. And so he opens his mouth and he says, oh, how lovely are the tents of Israel. How beautiful are God's people that he has called and blessed and put his hand of blessing upon him. He does that not one time, but at four different locations. And now King Balak is really ticked off. And he says, I hired you to curse them and all you're doing is blessing them. He says, can't help it. I can only do what the Lord puts in my mouth. But he's still thinking about that house full of gold. So he pulled him aside and says, I tell you what, got a plan for you. If you go back and get all your pretty gals from Moab and bring them down to the tents of Israel, they'll teach your men how we worship our gods. And you just can use your imagination and how they worshiped. And so what happened is because they committed adultery, the Lord judged the children of Israel and many of them died as a result of it. What's your point, Dwight? Well, go back to Jude, and what do we read? Um, what, what are one of the ways of the world to conform us? Oh, money, money. It is the love of nothing, nothing wrong with money. Money is amoral, and uh, can be used for good, and it can be used for evil, amen? But uh, if you ask a, a multimillionaire how much is enough money, you know what they'll tell you? Just a little bit more. It's never satisfying. And so the, it says uh, they have gone in the way of Cain, a murderer, or hating your brother. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. This would bring in the prosperity teachers today and who are really in ministry for all the wrong reasons. It's for a paycheck and really nothing more, really no heart for the flock, but um, just another paycheck. The last one here, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, before I talk about Korah, um, I want you to turn with me back to Romans chapter 13, and let's just touch on it again. Romans 13 Paul read for us earlier, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authority that exists are appointed by God. In this case, we're gonna be talking about Moses and it talks about the rebellion of Korah. Now this one isn't as long, so I am gonna have you turn back to the book of Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, and we'll read the first five verses, and we're introduced to Korah. Um, One through five. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of 
Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram, the son of Ilab, and An, the son of Pelish, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the congregation of the Lord? Just as David was known as a man after God's own heart, you know the title that the Lord gave to Moses? It said he was the humblest man in the whole world. Just let that sink in for a second. He was the humblest man in the whole world. That's what the scripture says about Moses. What's the accusation here? Who do you think you are? God's just as much with us as he is with you. And they're challenging the God-given authority that was placed upon Moses and Aaron. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and his congregation. He says, tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and will cause you to come near with him. And the one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. All right, we'll let the Lord decide. Show up tomorrow morning, bring your men with you, and um, whoever the Lord picks, then end of discussion. Uh, Let me draw your attention to verses 28 through 33. This is what happened. Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. And if these men die naturally, like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them all up, all that believe belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you'll understand that these men have rejected the Lord. And Moses got done speaking, and it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, the earth opened up its mouth, swallowed them up with his household, all the men with Korah and all their goods, So they and all that were with them went down into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the congregation. So, Charlton Heston, uh, Moses um, remained in charge and uh, the Lord did a new thing. And uh, he said, let's leave it up to the Lord and see what he does. So, If you go back to Jude, I'm going to switch gears big time and uh, take my remaining time. Let's read it again, verse 11. Who's conforming? Well, here's three examples of doing it the wrong way, being conformed. Um, The way of Cain, hating your brother. Um, The heir of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion 
In other words, having a problem with um, authority, the rebellion of Korah. But I would like to do is these are all Old Testament and New Testament examples. But wouldn't you agree that our world has changed, changed radically and drastically just within the last couple of years? And so what I'm going to do, and I'm going to make available to you, is two books this morning. You can pick them up on your way out. One is actually written by Mary. It says S is for social justice. And the other one is uh, the critical race theory, which I'm going to comment, comment on a little bit. Subject this morning was about don't let the world conform you. Well, there are organizations, and I'm going to read briefly a paragraph of different terminologies that really didn't exist up until the last several years. The first one is activism. Social justice, in its many forms, is primarily accomplished when people become activists, engaged in activism. Their goal is to bring about societal change and can be as simple as writing a letter to a government official or as dramatic as civil disobedience or protesting in a violent, nonviolent manner with no lack of victimhood in our culture, activists can trigger any one of a long list of causes to take on. Radical issues, political issues, gay uh, transgender causes, economic disparities, women's rights. These are just a few of the subjective causes with which to identify oneself. And the level of involvement in any one can cause a very... Uh, from individual to individual. One can merely uh, be a demonstrator or a reformer or an extremist depending upon many factors. And we call that activism. Another one, new one that's just popped up last couple of years is Antifa. Who heard about Antifa 10 years ago? Nobody. Antifa literally means anti-fascist. Originated in the 30s in Germany, it was the, the violent arm of the left, the Communist Party. Fascism is defined as a nationalistic, far-right, authoritarian style of government. So Antifa then labels any people or group they consider far-right as Nazis, fascists, and white supremacists. The goal of Antifa is to remake America into a Marxist state. And I'm gonna read that last verse again. The goal of Antifa is, is to make America into a Marxist state. Again, if any of you have not heard Curtis Bauer's Agenda 2, I strongly recommend it. Uh, that's what this is happening right now as it's trying to conform us to this world. Um, well, for lack of a word, homo, homophobia. Uh, that's one, that's a pattern, the term uh, homophobic or a term of um, contempt defined as a fear of bisexuals and bisexuality. Those who oppose these alternative lifestyles 
are said to be afraid of them. Thus, um, um, just the fear of social justice warriors who say that those who believe in the Bible, what the Bible teaches, that any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sin, are suffering from this type of phobia. The next one, black lives matter. When did we hear that? Only within the last several years. The Black Lives Matter or BLM Global Network Foundation is largely largely decentralized international organization. Listing regional chapters instead of particular leaders, it was actually founded by three women of whom identify themselves as queer, uh, Patrice Colors, Opal Tametti, and Alice Garze. On it, what we believe. Um, Black Lives Matter describes itself to fight for, now I have to go to Mary's book to get the rest of this, freedom, liberation, and justice. But its definition of those terms includes radical reform to basic society norms, including the description of the nuclear family. Um, In 2015 video, Akan Kohlers admitted that Black Lives Matter is led and trained by Marxists, quote, unquote. A closer look at Black Lives Matter revealed that while there are many who see it as a noble uh, force for racial equality, uh, the uh, intelligence behind it is using black people and those involved with Black Lives Matter as pawns to create civil unrest with the goal being to overthrow existing forms of government with Marxism. And again, remember our text, be not conformed to this world. And what I'm reading to you right now, or just in the last 10 years, that's what the world is trying to conform us to. That's why I wanted to close things up with what's happening now. And um, I'll just touch on just two or three more. The critical race theory. The idea that law is inherently racist and designed by Caucasians to maintain or further their standing in politics and economics over minorities. It has branched out to include liberal feminism, the LGBTQ, and other minorities. Proponents believe that even the civil rights laws, which they claim did nothing to benefit people of color, mainly benefited uh, the whites only. Richard D. Alargo, professor of civil rights and the CRT at the University of Alabama School of Law, was the first, along with his wife, in the 1980s to introduce this theory at the academic level, which it continues to have uh, the most traction. The term is derived from critical theory based on the dialectic philosophy that teachers um, truth is achieved by critically approach to ideas, beliefs, and practices. As with Marxists, the idea is that in order to have improvements and reform, 
um, conflict is necessary to bring about this resolution. And it's simply called critical race theory. I'll give you one more that, it, that pertains to the church at large before we close up this morning. It's called progressive Christianity. I like to call it seeker-sensitive um, church service. Uh, progressive Christianity, often interchanged with social justice Christianity or emergent Christianity, which is another way of describing a theology that is liberal, um, politically minded. Progressivism in politics is simply Marxism. In the church, it seeks justice for every people group engaged in environmental causes. It views the Bible merely as a social justice manual and does not ascribe to the doctrine of inerrancy. Along with this goes red-letter Christianity. Is everybody with me when I say red-letter Christianity? Um, Robert, are you here this morning, Robert Mara? He's got a great, um, he writes nationally for a national magazine, and he has an excellent article. I had to get Bob up here some Sunday morning and have him get in depth on this. But uh, basically, a red-letter Bible if you look, I have a red letter Bible, and all the letters in red are the words that Jesus spoke. But that's the only thing that they will accept. In other words, everything in black, black letters, they don't believe in inerrancy. So that's why we, we call them red letter Christians. Um, springing from the uh, progressive playbook and dominion theology, amillennialism, in their eschatology. Many leaders in the movement, and here they are, Jim Wallace, Shane Claiborne, Tony Campello, and Brian McLaren, themselves described, and willingly admit that they're Marcus socialist world view. Um, I've just cracked about four of about 20 that Mary has gotten. And so feel free to pick one up on your way out along with another one that will be available for free on critical race theory. I don't want to end on that note. I want to go back to Jude and uh, read just a couple verses and we'll close with, so what do we do with all this information, Dwight? And what do we do in the world in which we live? I'm really glad you asked me that question this morning. In Jude verses 17 through the end, it says, but you, beloved. So remember, this is after talking about Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now what Jude is gonna do is what do we do with all this stuff in light of not allowing this ever-changing world that we live in to conform us, what do we do? Well, this is what it tells us, verse 17. But you, beloved, now he's speaking to us directly. Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit, but you, beloved, build yourself up 
on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And here it is, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for what? My friends, it is very, very late. Good place for an amen. And we see it changing, and we can't believe the world in which we're living right now. So what do we do? Keep yourself in the love of God. I, I, I sort of see um, power, fear, and money on one hand. And over here, I see uh, faith, hope, and love. And we're in the middle of that. So we gotta expose the bad, but at the same time, keep ourselves in the love of God. Looking for what? Well, Colossians 3 verse one says, if you're born again, then seek those things that are above, where our Lord is. That's what we're to be looking for. The rapture of the church, the blessed hope. Um, Keep yourself in the love of God for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion making a distinction but others save with fear. And what this means is being wise, observe who you're talking to. Some have compassion, but some, if I would translate this, hit along the side of the head with a two by four. Some save with fear. You better get your act together, man, because if you don't, there really is a hell and it's forever. And some people, you need to address them that way. Some save with fear pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. And now Jude's doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we receive uh, from your word this morning from Paul not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for the scriptures that instruct us, admonish us, exhort us to keep ourselves um, with that balance knowing that we live in a crazy world but we have this blessed hope, this faith, and this love, and um, the admonishment to keep ourselves in the love of Christ. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Go before us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.